Fascinating people, fascinating places. G'day and welcome to the Dan Mainwaring Podcast. This is where we talk to and about the famous and the infamous, the celebrated and the obscure, the well-known and the undiscovered. Interviews, articles and discussion from around the globe. In the last episode, we learned how in a scene reminiscent of the sound of music, Back on! Tony Wood made a daring escape from the clutches of Saddam's Iraqi forces by assuming a false identity legitimized by a consular card given to him by Polish officials. But that is not the end of the story. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. The main component of this story is the surprising appearance of 11 East European kids from behind the fractured Iron Curtain. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. On a playground in Bishop Stortford in the autumn of 1990. The newly freed Tony Wood and his wife Judy were the people who made this happen. As he recovered from his harrowing ordeal alongside his Polish colleagues, Tony had a sudden epiphany. I realised that quite a few of them had children who were at these Kuwaiti English schools. I understood that they had exams coming up. When I got back to the UK, we had this idea, if we could get the schools to help out, to take on a number of pupils. Hannah, Martin and Christoph were among the students taking English A-levels in Kuwait exams that ultimately determine which university you go to. Unable to return to their studies in Kuwait, the futures of these teenagers could have been jeopardised or at a minimum severely disrupted if they had no further access to an English education. But even for the younger kids, some of whom had been taught in international schools for years, returning to Poland and adapting to different schools with different curriculums, not to mention classes taught in a different language, would have been challenging. I speak, I read, I write Polish. You, you probably wouldn't be able to tell that I grew up outside, but that's not to say I went through a Polish curriculum. So I was 13 at that time, in Poland it was seventh grade, and I was there for three weeks, and I was finding it pretty difficult to stay on track because all my education was either in Russian or in English at that point. Having an idea is one thing, but putting Tony's plan into action was a complex proposition. There are a number of things that we had to do. Firstly is see if the schools could easily accommodate them. So I, I set up a meeting with Robin Gregory, who was the then head teacher at St Mary's. He was very sympathetic to this. And of course, uh, you know, a school isn't just about education. There's the administration behind it. And Robin said, leave it with him for a while and he'd look into it. And he was very quick about it, I must say. We had a tick in that box. For the accommodation, by a stroke of luck, the Redemptress Monastery was in the process of being sold, so it was actually empty. For context about the monastery and the school, we need to dive into history. Bishop Stortford, like most of England, was largely Protestant by the end of the 19th century, thanks to the efforts of Henry VIII, Cromwell, William of Orange and other luminaries. There were a few stray Catholics still knocking about, but they were few in number, until 1897, when a group of nuns from Belgium 
established a convent in Bishop Stortford. Shortly after, the town hosted its first Catholic wedding in over 300 years. The nuns quickly established a school, St. Mary's, and a few years later, their efforts at evangelizing were bolstered by the arrival of Redemptorist brothers who established a monastery and a church. By 1990, a pretty sizable Catholic population had sprung up, and with an aging population of priests and nuns, the Catholic authorities decided their scant resources were better used elsewhere. The nuns, sisters of St. Mary of Namur, left town, and the Redemptorists vacated their large monastery and took up residence in the smaller convent. So it was actually empty. The monks uh, and priests had already moved out. I'd spoke with uh, Father Trenchard, who was in charge of the parish, and he said, yes, you should use it as a, as a sort of a boarding house. The next thing was to sort out visas. And of course, I had already been speaking with the consular staff in Warsaw, and I explained the situation, and they said, well, it should be possible once we had a confirmed list of individuals. Of course, the accommodation at the Redemptress Monastery was very frugal. We needed to have uh, beds and wardrobes and so on. So the parish of St. Joseph and the English Martyrs, uh, we put out an appeal, and it was an amazing response. And a furniture removal company called King's, I remember the name, offered to provide one of their vans to help pick up uh, furniture which people were either donating or loaning. We set up the organization, we called it Kesh, K-E-S-H, which stood for Kuwait English Schools Harriers. I actually got out of Kuwait, I think it was on the 22nd of August. By the 27th of September, we had the accommodation at the monastery had all been cleaned and equipped. The following day, the children arrived on the 28th. Of course, we wanted the youngsters, as they were then, to feel as at home as possible. What we did also try and organise is some extramural activities. These activities included things such as music lessons and even horse riding. The school also made adjustments to in-class learning due to the fact that some of the students had been studying curriculums in Kuwait that differed slightly to those ordinarily offered at St. Mary's. Tony's ambitious plan had evolved into a community-wide effort to accommodate the 11 students. But it all worked, just like somebody was up there trying to help us. And so from within Tony's Polish contacts and the Polish diaspora of Kuwait, 11 names of young people, ranging from the ages of 13 to 18, were put forward. And it was these individuals who formed Tony's list. All that remained was for the Polish kids to arrive. So at this point, you'd grown up in Poland and then in Kuwait, which on the one hand is an Arab country, but on the other hand, it had a pretty big expat community that was diverse with people from all over the world. When you first arrived in Bishop Stortford, what were your impressions compared with what you had been used to? Did this seem like the kind of community that was equally multicultural and diverse? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was definitely not multicultural. It was definitely very uniform. At that point, we were in senior three or something like that. Everyone had known each other, aside from most of them had, having gone to primary school together anyway but everyone had known each other for you know 
at least two years at that point. And we were these kids that were kind of thrown in there. We were new. And to make things maybe even worse, we didn't really know each other very well. I knew Hanya and Michael, and I knew Chris, but they were older than us. So they wouldn't have been in the, in our class. So out of our class of four, we, we didn't really know each other very well. And yet we were always grouped together out yeah. of kind of necessity. Um, and, and I think this, there was this, yeah, no, it was just a sort of, different two different things like we had we no idea that. who we were and we yes. hated that so the girls hated the boys we hated the girls and then we mine and monica had a love and hate relationship you know like all you know girl teenagers me and Wojtek had a love and hate relationship like all teenage boys you know the only multicultural thing that i remember was like we were placed next to um our welsh colleague and then i remember one of our colleagues decided to be very funny and we're sitting turns to me and says this is a television (laughs) you guys didn't know what to make of us like i don't know what you were told before we arrived and i don't know how you viewed us you know we probably didn't have a great idea you know who and what we were from my point of view gregory the headmaster had this assembly and said hey we're getting these refugees from kuwait coming over here from poland and then other kids just they weren't very curious at that school i don't think the average saint mary's kid knew where Poland was on a map. And then suddenly you guys showed up one day and they just it just kind of blew their minds. And it's and you know I have to say and the age we showed up is not at least the the four of us. Not a very good age to make friends. You know, you make friends and then three days later, I hate you, I'm not speaking to you. And then, you know, three days later, you're best friends and you turn in on the friends that you... I think that, in hindsight, that compounded the problem. But I think you're right. They were not very friendly. And it didn't help that the only person that was trying to make friends with me was our Welsh friend. I realized everybody was making fun of him. So trying to blend in, I started to make fun of his name. Which, it, I mean, it'd be all fairness, he was also, he was completely incapable of pronouncing my first name. Yeah. So I just thought I could call him Geraint. And he would just get very upset. <laughs> Try to yeah. fit in by being dysfunctional. It was very interesting. It's a surprise we're all not serial killers these days. I was always under the impression that you were all a group. I mean, some kind of, traveling troop of polish kids from the same same area of kuwait and lived in the same tent until we yeah because yeah. no, in... we mostly met like a day before we got to school so by that time you've been to english language school i spent two years at soviet school after that both my sister and i actually did transfer to kuwait english school so mm-hmm. we were at kes for almost two years before the war happened did you have any troubles as far as colloquial accents and all that kind of stuff i did a little bit because i was in an american school before i came i can imagine how confusing it was there was this young clearly you know not heteronormative guy who is in denial and then he has an american accent or american-ish I think, you know, Marta and Monica were in, in an English school, so they blended in much better. I don't know if we did, but I don't remember the language being a barrier of any sorts. Not That was the one thing that was never an issue. The uniforms were, oh my God. Did you have uniforms out in Kuwait? Yeah, we did. You did? Not in my school. No, not in the American school. Wait, didn't have really? Uniforms. Oh, the American school didn't? Oh, no. okay. We did at KES, though. Give me liberty or give me death, baby. <laughs> My first week, and I think it was day three, in Bishop Stortford, Vicky, 
was arguing with her boyfriend. She takes the wooden blackboard eraser and throws it at him. And lo and behold, misses the man, but manages to hit me on the head and give me a concussion. I then had to spend like three extra days at home because um, oddly enough, like it did give me a concussion. Neil Rodriguez was a classmate of the two boys, Kajik and Wojtek, and he remembers only too well the duo and some of the challenges they faced, not just from other students, but on occasion, even from teachers. I remember them both very, very clearly. A bit of like a kind of a, like a comedy duo almost, like a little bit kind of eccentric. For young guys, they'd had quite a colourful kind of life experience. Kajik seemed, he was very kind of endearing and... I remember he was talking about the call to prayer and how it would come on in the morning. And he got up in our religious class. He got up on the table and he did it like he sang the chant. It was so funny. And he was so sort of like honest about it. He was just like, yeah, this is what they do. And it's a night. And because he had a slight American twang to his English and his accent and everything were very sort of charming. And I remember him doing that in, uh, I think he sort of won over a few hearts. I think people quite liked him whereas Wojciech was a little bit more sort of standoffish I remember Miss Peace having a go at Kajik because he'd done his art homework in felt tip pen instead of like colour pencil or whatever his face was a bit like I don't have an art supply in my like dorm room or whatever like this is the best I could do and her like being quite angry about about the fact that he uses felt pencil and like at the same time that in context thinking like these guys have just escaped like an active war zone. Maybe we could go easy on the felt tip pens. I remember Mrs. Briscoe. I loved Mrs. Briscoe, the history teacher. Really? Because I loved history and she was so kind to me. Yeah. And she would like give me textbooks for the next years up and up so I could read on English history. She was wonderful. I loved her. Mrs. Talbot, who was very confused because she said my grammar and my spelling were atrocious. But she said I wrote very well. And so she was always torn between giving me an A or an F. And so I ended up always getting a D for spelling and grammar. I like Mr. Burns, the PE teacher, because yeah. he was also... Uh, this, is, this is very odd. In Poland, if you're a PE teacher, you don't have to teach anything else. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think in England, you have to be able to teach another subject, you know, that is actually a subject, rather than just being mean to young and sexually confused boys. And Mr. Burns taught history... And he really liked, I think, the 17th century. And I remember we once, and I was, I mean, you remember me. I was terrible at PE. I mean, and that's an understatement of the year. And he realized that I like history and he was always very nice to me. Like he was the only PE teacher I ever had in my life that didn't pick on me, didn't call me a wuss, didn't call me a sissy, a girly boy. He was wonderful. So I do remember him very, very fondly. In terms of best love teacher, Kajik's choice of Mr. Byrne, who sadly passed away a few years later while still a young man, is something he shares in common with many kids from St. Mary's. Which teachers did you like best? Mr. Byrne was like an athletics representative from Ireland. He was amazing. And in terms of the curriculum, there were a few surprises, as Marta recalls. I went through, you know, three weeks of Polish school. And at that time, because this was 1990, we already had religion in school. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was taught by a priest. And it was, of course, religion meant, you know, the one true Catholic. religion being Catholic, being nothing else. Whereas, you know, I went to a Catholic school in England and I fully expected 
this to continue. And then we had classes on everything, on, on Islam, on Judaism, on, on all sorts of religions. And even when we did, I think in the second year, when I think we studied the New Testament, it was still kind of done more as a study than as a, here is this, this is what you need to learn, and this is what you need to recite. Um, so I actually did appreciate that quite a lot. I mean, I did not expect that from a Catholic school, and I was very pleasantly surprised. But the school experience was only one aspect of being in England. Of course, each night, the children returned home to what was a vacant monastery, with parents coming over from Poland in rotation to act as house matrons of a sort. There were at least two, sometimes three parents with us at any given time, and they were rotating. Some people stayed for a couple of weeks, some people stayed for you know six months, but there were adults with us. It was almost like a sort of very improvised boarding school setting, or family or like a group home. I really can't describe it. I usually say it was this micro boarding school. So members of the parish donated various furniture for, you know, your bedrooms and living quarters. But beyond that, was it pretty spartan in the monastery? It had a fabulous library, it, which I used to run away from Marta, Monica and Wojtek. Was it still stocked with books? Yes. It well, was the first couple, it was the first month or so after yeah. that they'd actually removed most of the the first month or so it was a library that had a lot of books so yes we would sneak in there and i was looking for any monarchy books and they had tons of monarchy books. i found the lord of the rings and started reading that it was pretty eclectic yeah can i just point out and this has to go into the podcast that this was the year of backstreet boys yeah, your facts right. It wasn't Backstreet Boys. Backstreet Boys weren't even around. It was worse. It was New Kids on the Block. And I remember the three of them would go up these stairs and sing step by step, Ooh Baby. I was a young and impressionable man, but full of Christian naivete, because if this happened to me now, I would flung myself up those stairs. Well, if this happened to me now, I'd probably... <laughs> I know, she's like, wait for me. Do the same. There was a cemetery on the ground, so this, the, the monastery was one part of it, and then there was a really large lawn, and then there was an orchard, and yeah. there was a small cemetery with, with, you know, monks, yeah, with, with you know, I can't remember, it was like 12 graves or something. It wasn't mm-hmm. massive, but it was, it was lovely. graves of some of the monks calming. that were buried there. Calming. It was also kind of creepy when you're 13 and you have an overactive imagination. There was another much bigger cemetery right next to it, the Great St. Yes. Mary's as yes, well. Yeah. Yes, my windows would face that cemetery. And did we ever go through with a dare where we had to go to the cemetery at midnight or something like no, that? No, did we just talk about, about it? talking about it and giggling. We just talked about it. It was, yeah, it was because it was the most terrifying thing we could come up with in that graveyard there was this one massive gravestone that was covered in like green algae and the yeah. woman who was buried there was called esmeralda death <laughs> I mean, it was... <laughs> was the monastery haunted because saint mary's school was supposedly haunted by the gray lady some long lost nun and the pub the boar's head right across the street was haunted i think all of Stortford was haunted but was there anything spooky in the monastery then this is what i put up with all the time <laughs> Mean girls and it's on the block and i'm supposed to blossom into a fully grown gay man okay so to that point you're in this huge monastery with two adults there who may be your parents maybe some other kid you barely knows parent was there discipline i mean were there rules and regulations because I mean, you didn't have you competed with boarding school, but it wasn't like an official setup with teachers and so forth. Did you guys have to do chores and things? 
So from what I remember, we had to help with the groceries and we did the chores. So we did the dishes and the breakfast was on us. So, you know, we could pick being Americanized in Kuwait. We were quickly into cereal and dinner, I think, was cooked, if I remember correctly. But again, we had to do the chores. So there was a list, you know, one week we did the bathrooms, one week we did the kitchens, and I was teamed up. And I think most of the time I was actually teamed up with Wojtek. So we were the only two guys roughly of the same age. So, so, I mean, I have to say the living conditions were not bad. You know, we had our own room and, it, we, you know, there wasn't a lot of shower sharing. So I think on my floor, I shared it with Wojtek and with Monica. Although if you know Monica, you know, if, if, if you shared that shower, that shower was out of commission for like an hour. No teenage girls. But no, I mean, I have to say the living conditions were very, very good. You know, all things considering. So we, because we were, you know, we were below the age of 18. I think there were, there were curfews. We had to say like, where are we going with whom? And we had to be back, I think by six, that was the rule. Honestly, the only place I would go to on occasion would be the Anglican church next door for an evening service because I liked it. It's not like, you know, we were invited to a lot of parties. Monica and Marta were because, you know, girls tend to hang out more. I think the girls were more. And then the older kids. I was a little nerdy and, you know, weird, nerdy, gay. Most of the time I'd either go to the library and read or, you know, sometimes go to St. Michael's for the service. And then living in a Catholic monastery, albeit devoid of monks and priests at that point in time and attending Catholic school, was there an expectation that you guys would be actively involved in the church, going to mass and so forth? Well, I always grew up in, you know, in, in the church, so I, I, I went religiously. I think my parents said, well, because this is the Catholic church that's, you know, and it's a Catholic school, you know, you should show up. And I think everybody went. I, I think there was an expectation. For me, it wasn't a problem because I liked going. And what about money if you did want to go out and go on town and so forth? Because, I mean, you're a long way from home. And at that point in time, Poland with the exchange rate, I mean, it hadn't long stopped being communist. So it, it wasn't a favorable exchange rate. How did you guys do for money while you were over in England? Did you get an allowance or how did that work? That was an interesting development. So we used to, re- so we had pocket money, weekly pocket money, which, you know, I spent immediately or it never lasted longer than two weeks because I would spend it on books or sweet. But halfway through, one of the parents read that we received, and I don't want to give you the amount, but let's just say we were getting seven pounds, 50 weekly pocket money. And one of them read that British kids on average receive five pounds pocket money. So they cut our pocket money. I'm not making this up. But the point was, rather than the real, they literally cut our pocket money. And we kept on explaining to them, like, well, look, you know, a lot of the things that we buy on our own, like sweets and chocolate, the parents would buy. Didn't register with them. I, you know, I did complain to my parents. I don't know what they did with it, but I remember to the very end, we got the same amount. They, they, they literally chopped our pocket money. I don't know whose brilliant idea was it. I think it was like the two parents or the three parents who were there with, with, with the British guardians decided this would be a good idea to cut our pocket money. And maybe you know, to, to make it cheaper for our parents in Poland. Except, I mean, in hindsight, it was the only stupid idea that I can think of that the parents made because they did take good care of us. But I thought you really have to be removed from sanity a number of levels to do something like that. You have these kids who are, you know, it's a semi-boarding school situation. They have to buy everything apart from basic food. And you decide like, oh no, that you you, you can't be getting more than British kids. And again, it wasn't a big amount per se, but for us, it was a big amount. 
Meanwhile, back in Kuwait, the Iraqis were in firm control, until an unlikely coalition of the willing, led by American George Bush and Britain's John Major, formed an alliance with Arab powers including Jordan, Saudi Arabia and Syria to liberate Kuwait. Kuwait is liberated. Iraq's army is defeated. Our military objectives are met. Kuwait is once more in the hands of Kuwaitis in control of their own destiny. We share in their joy, a joy tempered only by our compassion for their ordeal. With Kuwait liberated, what was next for the 11 students on Tomi's list? Would they return to the Middle East? Go back to the newly democratic Poland? Or would they stay in the West? Find out next week in the surprising conclusion to Tony's list. Well, stone the flaming crows. It's time for Dan to do the Harry. Watch out for the next podcast and follow Dan's activities at www.danielmainwaring.com.